0: Welcome to the True Falls Film Festival. Welcome to the True False Podcast. My name is Sebastián Martínez Valdivia, and I'm one of the producers of the show. I'm jumping in here really quick to explain what you're about to hear. So we're in our off-season right now, but we thought it'd be a good time to re-feature an episode from our last season with the Edge of Democracy director Petra Costa, because her film just went up on Netflix. In The Edge of Democracy, Costa uses her own personal experiences, her memories and family history as a lens through which to view Brazil's recent political turmoil, the impeachment of Dilma Rousseff and the election of Jair Bolsonaro. This episode features a conversation from this year's fest between Costa and Nanfu Wang, who directed One Child Nation, which itself will be in select theaters in August. It's a really riveting conversation, and we're excited for the opportunity to feature it again. A brief programming note we have another episode in the works right now featuring a conversation with Robert Greene about his film Bisbee 17, but otherwise, we'll resume our regular season in the winter. Okay, that's it from me. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show.
1: Welcome to the True False Podcast, presented by KBIA. I'm Allison Kofeld. In this episode, we're bringing you another field session, our annual conversations with filmmakers. In this field session, Petra Costa, director of The Edge of Democracy, speaks with Nanfu Wang, director of One Child Nation. Both films tell large-scale political stories in deeply personal ways. Wang tells the story of China's one-child policy, intertwining her own experience as a mother and her family's history. Costa also involves her family in her chronicle of the recent political crises in her home country, Brazil. Her parents were militants who fought the country's ruling dictatorship, and her grandparents were members of the conservative elite. In this conversation, taken from this year's Politics Ditto field session, the two directors discuss the inspiration for their films as well as their experiences as women filmmakers. Here's Costa.
2: So, The Edge of Democracy is a film that I started making in 2016, um, when, at the time, I felt that democracy, not just in Brazil, but around the world, was extremely solid. And I think it, it's amazing how in that year, so many of us understood that that was not the case. And the film comes from a desire first to document what was happening in Brazil, uh, which, hap- which was the country entered into a political crisis in an extremely fast pace, and I filmed that in the streets, in Congress, and also in the presidential uh, residence and with the presidents. So we had three presidents from 2016 to, to today. Dilma, her vice president, Temer, and Bolsonaro, who was a military reserve um, who was recently elected and the film uh, is about that and connecting that to my own personal
3: history and to my memories of uh, the country. Wow, that's great. <laughs> um, so One Child Nation is about China's one child policy, which was in place for over 35 years. And uh, similarly ended, which is funny, in 2016, uh, the time that you started the film. And that was when I started thinking about the film because when uh, the one-child policy ended, there was so much media coverage, both in China and around the world. Although in China, it's much more celebratory, saying that the one-child policy has contributed to the economic progress and people's basically happy lives right now. And in the international community, similarly, uh, there were a lot of report headlines saying, China ended the one-child policy and the era is over. And it got me thinking, really, like the, it's now two-child policy is not very different from one. The number is different, but still remains government control. So I started thinking about it, but at the time, it wasn't clear how this could be a film or whether I would be able to make a film on it. It's more of like a topic that I couldn't stop thinking. And then in 2017, February, I became pregnant. And suddenly, a lot of thoughts and memories and things that came back to from my life in China. Because at the time I write, I lived in China, in America. I moved to America in two thousand eleven. So my early life, my childhood, and everything, the thoughts was unstoppable. And being an expectant mother and Then later on, becoming a mother made me think a lot about the families, mothers, and children who were affected by the one-child policy, and I felt, for the first time, very close to them, and then decided to go back to China and make a film about it, and to see what really happened, and what it meant to people who lived under the policy for decades. (laughs) Yeah, I think like both of our films are very personal. And when I was watching yours, I was amazed by how well you achieved. You know, like by tackling such a vast and complex topic, in politics of the the country, and distill it into a two-hour film, mm-hmm. and made it very accessible and understandable to people, whether who are very familiar with Brazil and and get a, such a Intimate, close look at the policy from its inside, uh, or people who has no prior knowledge to Brazil, but still, which like I think for me is like I didn't understand much about it, but then after watching a film, it feels like such a massive um, scale of depiction of the current pol- political and even the past and the future. Like I felt I could get a clear picture to that, and just wonder how you achieved. How you achieved that? (laughs) It's hard. It was the biggest challenge when I was thinking about my film before I even started, because it's a policy that affected millions of people. And how am I gonna talk about it if I select interview characters? It would be everyone in the country whose lives were affected. So that was like extremely difficult. And you even managed to do 86 (laughs) minutes. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, so
2: (laughs) even more efficient. Yeah, Yeah, no, um, I think the idea that the most important character of the film was time was a good guideline. Like, I have to be a testimony of, of time. And, and that in itself, because what I think is confusing when you're in, in these times of political crisis is that things happen in a very fast pace. It's what Naomi Klein calls the shock doc- doctrine, right? That you come to a country, you implement a new policy or a new government, and everyone is in shock, so they can't even react. So that's what happened there. So what do you do when you're in shock? First, you have to retrace time, right? Retrace what were the events that happened that destabilized the country. And that's what I tried to do. Like from the first protest to the second protest to the vote in the Congress to the establishment of the impeachment process. And then I thought that was the film, that the film would end with the impeachment process. But then the new president came, and then he was caught in new audio leaks, and then I was like, oh, no, my God. (laughs) 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 All my friends were, like, celebrating, and I was like, oh, no, I have to go back to Brasilia, and then everyone thought he would renounce, Mm -hmm. but he has a thicker skin, so he stayed, even though there were audio leaks showing that he was asking for money and and, um, paying for the silence of a congressman in jail. It's so hard to explain the story like this because it's, it's like ha- putting all the episodes of House of Cards into mm-hmm. 10 minutes. Even House of Cards said that it, they couldn't compete with the level of, <laughs> of turning points that Brazil had. And then Temer, who was Dilma's vice president, who had plotted her impeachment, was then, yes, caught in this audio leak. And then he, his term ended and there, were, there was a the new oh. election and when no one expected the congressman that I had been v- interviewing because he was the most abnormal congressman and when the impeachment vote was happening suddenly became president. The congressman who took me to his office and said that if it depended on him, um, all the people that fought against the military dictatorship should have been killed and that I thought would have included my parents, my father who is here. <laughs> And and so, yes, both my, my parents were very active uh, in fighting the military dictatorship in the 60s, 70s, and my father then became a congressman in the beginning of the establishment of Brazilian democracy. And so the story was very close to me in that sense. But going back to your question, I think it w- it's a story about how to deal with the trauma of not d- losing a closed person, but losing your country, what your, your dreams of what you thought your country was and what you thought your future would be. So how do you deal with that pain? I think the film for me was my main motivation was trying to understand how to deal with that pain.
3: Well, I have so many questions. <laughs> Can I ask a follow-up? <laughs> was it a decision that you know very early on, even before you started filming, that you know you were going to use first a person to tell the story and also to tell it like from your perspective? Or is it something that you realized later on?
2: Could I ask you that question? Question two. And then, uh, <laughs> uh, and then, we come, and then I'll answer it. Okay, we'll it, I, notes. question I have for you, for sure.
3: Yeah, I think it's interesting <laughs> because we all, like, our films are so political and yeah. also at the same time so personal. And Nangfu Fu interviews her family in her film and it's
2: amazing what you discover there through I mean I don't know if you, how much you knew of it how much you didn't know of how the one child policy affected closely so many members of her
3: family yeah and then I think for people who don't know our uh, previous films they are personal too yeah. and for me every time I am like since my first film which I was in the film and used the first person prison uh, narrative And ever since then, the second film, um, people would ask, oh, like even when I was making it, are you going to be in the film? And I remember the second film, I was like, no, I'm not in the film. It's It's a story about a homeless guy in America and his family and his choice why would I be in the film? I'm not even like their world is not me it's about them. And I filmed it that way and then I edited it that way and when it was a rough cut and I showed it to a bunch of people for feedback, you know, fellow yeah. filmmakers and advisors. And they kept asking me, it's like, why did you make this film? And I said, well, because this and that. I explained a lot because I came from China and this guy, when I first met him, he was so fascinating and to me, like he represents this America, the notion of American freedom that he would give up everything and just live on the streets, and so it intrigued me to see like why he made that choice and what the freedom looks like in America. And the session became people kept digging like why, why, and you. So eventually, it became apparent that this film is really not about him; <laughs> it's about why I was intrigued by him and it's not about homelessness it's more about the sense of like choice and freedom Mm. so after that rough cut I went back and re-edited the complete film and put myself in there and so when I was started making One Child Nation and of course like everyone who heard I was making the film asked are you going to be in the film and I was like no (laughs) really yes and then I think there is a part of me really resists people's projection that oh that's the way that you are going to make yeah. the film. Yeah. Like you you made it too that's personal and that's yeah. you definitely that's your style, your personal style, which I'm okay I'm fine with like people recognize there as a style, yeah. but I also don't want to be defined that this is a person who only makes a film that one way, yeah. which I don't think I was. So when I was m- starting it, I was like, no, this ta- this time, like, I would not. I will uh, mm-hmm. try to. But also, like, on the back of my mind, I knew because the topic is so personal and the motivation and everything. So if it's necessary, like, I would need to. But what I was trying to do at the first was to challenge myself to not to. Mm-hmm. And then I filmed all the characters. Oh, you uh, did that first? I yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I filmed the conversation between me and my mother as one of the very first interviews, basically to try to understand the time, how how was it like when she gave birth to me, how was it like when she was my age, and then I interviewed my grandfather, which you did too, mm-hmm. uh, and I talked for probably four or five hours with my grandfather, and I did not tell him this is about one film about the one-child policy. Instead, he uh, he's eighty-three years old, and I said, "I'm gonna record your life story. I want you to tell me everything, like your life." So my son, when he he was like a few months old at the time when I did the interview, I said, "So when he grows up, he would know who you are, mm-hmm. and he would." Uh, know your story. So he told me all the story and took like five hours, I think. And then there was a little part of it, it's about the one-child policy, of course, mm-hmm. and then there were so many other things about other revolutions, uh, you know, wars and things that he experienced. And then I filmed other characters, and then I bring the footage back and edit. Every time, like, I, I, I shoot something and then I would edit something. And so there is an assembly of all the characters' story everyone has a compelling and sometimes a tragic uh, story to tell and then I for a side project, I also added something is about me becoming a mother and how that changed my whole perspective mm-hmm. and worldview in terms of how I looked at the world and that short piece was uh, was shown at TED conference and other places mm-hmm. so eventually, when I was Working on this and showing it to our team and people who are close working relationship. And everyone responded to the short film that I had with one hundred one hundred percent emotion. Like everyone could relate to because it's mm-hmm. about motherhood, It's about something that is so universal. And when I showed the other character's story, instead, People stayed on a very rational, uh, intellectual level, mm-hmm. not so much as like emotionally connected. They're very detached. They looked at it and they felt, "Oh, this is a Chinese people. This is China. This has nothing to do with me." Yeah. Like I understand them, but I don't feel connected to them, and I don't. Yeah. There is a lack of empathy, and it was then made me think, like, how could I bring emotion <coughs> to the film, and Make people, no matter where they are, they can resonate and have an emotional response to it. It was then I, I was like, okay, I the way that they can they can feel that is the way I can feel it, and then they have to feel it through me mm-hmm. through, and see what I see. And yeah, so
2: so the, you're like giving them a key.
3: mentor. Yeah. How about for, you? For
2: me, it was very similar. I I didn't plan making this film. Right. I one day I was. I went down my apartment and then to check out a protest, and when I saw I was inside a rabbit hole that lasted a thousand and one nights and days. So I was—I realized what the film was in the process of, of making it. And the first sentence that came to mind w- when I decided to think about how I would tell the story was the one that I say in the film, I'm the same age as Brazilian democracy, and I thought that in our 30s, we would both be standing on solid ground. So I started writing fr- from that starting point uh, the narration of the film and, and started writing some personal stories that connected to the story of the film and, and some impressions. But I didn't know if that would be a part of the film, for sure. So I I was very doubtful because... It's, it's a story of such greatness in terms of scale that it affects the entire country. And it felt almost a bit obnoxious or disrespectful to put my story inside a story that is everyone's story, right? And, and in Brazil especially, people were like, are you going to put your story in it? Like, it's, it's our story, right? Like, so in Brazil... Uh, there was a bit of skepticism from some interlocutors on, on that while others uh, thought, of course, you're going to put yourself in it. But anyway, it was a question. And it was not until we got into a, a kind of lab called Doc <laughs> Incubator that we had to do a cut of the film <coughs> and present it because there was so much material and we were just assembling and assembling and assembling. And And at that moment, I... Kind of really rushedly, kind of recorded the voiceover that I had written, and we inserted it and we presented it there, and it was a two-hour cut. And everything, everyone commented in the lab was the narration. <laughs> it's like, oh, we want to know more about your story and the family and the mother and the. Da. I was like, oh, what about all those congressmen? And I was like, that for them was too confusing, as you s- and and too detached. And it was it was through the personal story that everyone else and this was a lab that was in Eastern Europe, so there were people had had very few connections or no connections to Brazil. So that was when it was like, okay, I think the personal story has to stay.
3: Yeah. yeah. And I similarly I think there were some anecdotes that I have about my life, my childhood, which I took it for granted. Like I didn't didn't think it was anything special. Like for example in the film beginning I explained the meaning of my name, uh, Nanfu, which Nan means man, and Fu means pillar. My family wanted to have a boy, that's the pillar of the family. And when I was born a girl, it was like, okay, no, no matter what, name her Nanfu. <laughs> and so, yeah. like this was like things that I knew my whole life, and yeah. nothing special. I I felt like it was almost something I thought it was amusing, but then when i started telling it like to people here and people was like what are you not going to put that in the film and i was like that seems like too self-centered like yeah. am i going to put that mm-hmm. so it was interesting to me like what things that i think sometimes i feel very close to my story and doing the first person film in a way couldn't see like something that could be interesting to others this film in particular <laughs> The motivation, inspiration, and so many about it is me becoming a mother and being the mother. And I think my child is eighteen months old, and I think the first eighteen months of his life, and then the nine months, which to me uh, he was born premature, so seven and a half months of like pregnancy. I don't think any man could fully understand or any person who has not been the mother mm-hmm. could fully understand what it was like. And I think for me, I was very surprised uh, after I became mother that how little our society talked about motherhood. It's really not enough. Like even all the things, that, like, like this is uh, getting really like. I mean, all societies or Chinese or American. all society. Oh, yeah. Like this is really getting getting really like personal and intimate. It's like even like breastfeeding. Everybody's thought that is so natural, but so many people around me that I've talked to with mothers, it's not like a baby is born and naturally you can just breastfeed mm-hmm. them, and like. Lots of problems that, like, even the society doesn't publicly talk about that. And I could say, like, in my whole uh, motherhood so far, there wasn't a day that I wasn't worried about something about my child. I don't know if it makes sense, but, like, I, I definitely am not a person who is, like, over... Worrisome or anyway, mm-hmm. but that's just natural and not even exaggerating That's the norm of most mothers would feel. I think this is not like getting away from the question, not even understand <laughs> answering the question I think it's a unique perspective and then being a woman and a filmmaker sometimes I feel it, it allowed me to um, I don't know I just feel like we have such a different perspective from men and our advantage even like but of course the in- industry is no way near like the level play field is every time i remember even when i was working on my first film when it was my it was like there was no budget nothing and i remember i went to meetings uh, to pitch meetings with former professor from my who is in his 50s uh white man and we would go to talk about the film and try to get funding. And every time we showed up at a meeting, um, the people who are on the other side of the meeting would look at him and ask, so how was this film made and how was how the story? Even though everyone who read about a little bit of a story knew it's a Chinese story and knew he has not been there and I was in the film and it's my country, it's so apparent that if you saw the, if any of you saw the film you knew like it has nothing to do with outside of China, but they would still turn to him and was like, tell us how this feel, like how, what was the process? And then I would answer the question. And then when I answer this question, they would turn to him and ask another question. And then I would <laughs> ask the question. So wow. like even this happened like so many runs, it didn't change like yeah. how they perceive. Yeah. And uh, throughout my career, I've experienced many things like that mm-hmm. in a way. But I think that's our reality in a mm. way that like when we talk about like the idea model of the society or things we hope to see change, and that is yeah. just a one tiny little yeah. bit of it
2: There was something that I read recently which is that the mayor of Bar- barcelona she she says that she's trying to make a new way of kind of a female way of making politics, and that for her is comes a lot from the idea of of having. Working with empathy, mm-hmm. yeah. and I think that I think is the main thing that I think is present, and it, that I can see as a kind of w- female way of making my films, which is present in male filmmakers as yeah. well. They're, but it's this kind of energy, <laughs> and I think in this process, in the process of making this film, it really guided me, trying to have empathy with the characters in the streets from both sides, um, f- with the congressmen, with, with the presidents. Juma particularly uh, was in a moment where she was hated by everyone, even, I mean, from, from people from the left, the right, the center, and even from people from her own party. And, and um, it was interesting because there were other f- filmmakers making documentaries about her impeachment at the same time, and they were all female so there was this desire, this empathy from, from women towards her as a president and towards the, the sexism that she was suffering.
1: That's it for this episode of the True False podcast. Thanks to Trevor Hook for producing this episode with help from Betsy Smith and Sebastian Martinez Valdivia. Our music was created by Tim Pilcher using sounds from the True False Film Fest. I'm Allison Kofeld. Thanks for listening.